Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on our panel, we have just me, Amadi. And today we'll be talking to Shimon Sopa. Did I pronounce that right, Shimon? Yeah, that's actually very well, to be honest. Awesome, awesome. So Shimon, do you want to let people know what you do? How'd you get into Elixir? When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Okay, so hello, everyone. First of all, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Glad to be here. When it comes to my background and how I got into Elixir, I would say I, would, I had a typical path for developer. I start, started with C++, then learned so, some C and other typical languages like Java, Python. I even got into more exotic ones like Assembler or Prolog. That's Ooh, nice. Everything I, I, I touched at university, uh, pretty exotic ones. But uh, to be honest, I always wanted to be a web developer. So I concentrated on the ones that would allow me to write code that is, it in the end will become a web server. So uh, at some point, I got introduced to Python and Django. However, at the same time, one of my friends at university uh, was really hyped and enthusiastic about this language called Ruby, which is uh, probably not a surprise for all of you that it's my background. So he said that it's super easy to use. There's a bunch of libraries. You can just install a library and uh, out of the box, you have a lot of functionalities for your web server. And I really liked it. So I did a lot of Ruby and Ruby on Rails programming for a couple of years. And to be honest, I really, really think Ruby is a great language, is super productive. However, at some point, a lot of Ruby developers start to understand that Ruby is great, but for MVP stage, for rather small or medium-sized applications. And at some point, you need to scale. And uh, that's how I got introduced into Elixir a couple of years ago, which is, in my opinion, great for MVP stage. I did MVPs uh, that took, took, it took like three weeks to create an MVP and it's still nice. running. Uh, so it's, it's really stable. And I also was involved in big, bigger projects that uh, serve to tens of thousands of users every single day. And it's uh, also doing great out there. So Elixir was like a next step for me. And I'm with Elixir right now all, uh, with all my hands. Over a year ago, I also started the company, CEO and co-founder of Curiosu, which is a comp company offering uh, web development services, or you can also call it a software house. 
we're located in Poland. And the thing that distinguishes us is the fact that we entirely focus on the backend side on Elixir. We are full stack developers, but Elixir is, let's say, our thing. And we're pretty happy with that. So that's how I got into Elixir. And yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. We'll post a link to Curiosum in the in the page for the talk. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, Ruby, right? And there's a lot of ways Elixir kind of has improved on Ruby on Rails Foundation. And the blog post that we invited you specifically was about Ecto. So before we dive into the blog post, right, do you want to talk about, you know, what do you like more about Ecto compared to Active Records slash Rails? And yeah, I mean, yeah. and potentially what you don't like about Ecto either. Yeah. So enough active record in, in Rails, uh, you have this concept of a model. Funny thing, actually, Phoenix did have the same concept of a model uh, back in some early versions. However, it switched to another concept right now. So the thing that I loved in Ruby on Rails was the fact that you had a lot of things out of the box. So you could just create a class that would inherit from active records. And you would get all of these great functionalities, uh, like, for example, method all that would fetch all the rec records of a user, let's say. But at the same time, this magic at some point is a problem. So especially junior developers, but also the regular ones, I would say, sometimes don't even know what's under the hood, what's happening when you call a certain function, a method. In, in Ruby on Rails. They some, somehow think that magically records appear. They don't know that there is a SQL under the hood. And yeah, at some point it brings a lot of issues. Like the biggest problem is I would say optimization, uh, the performance of SQL that in the end is being generated. So just to name a few of the issues. Yeah, as I said, performance issue, some there's a lot of code that preloads data that are not needed at a given point. And I would say the most typical one and the most popular one, N plus one issue, where there are a bunch of queries happening in a loop. And uh, yeah, some developers don't know that something like this is, is happening. And this is, this is a pretty big problem. It has a huge implication on the perform performance. So with Ecto, and it's very SQL-like syntax, you actually have more control over what you're writing, what you're composing. And in the end, if you want to be a good developer, you have to know, web developer at least, you have to know uh, SQL. So if you already know SQL, why not use uh, a syntax that is very similar to it? And you always know what's happening, what you're fetching, what you're preloading, etc. So yeah. I would say that Ruby and Ruby on Rails active record is great. At, up to some point when you start to see a performance issue. Totally. Yeah. That that's like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I think a couple of things that I really like like in Ecto. One of the one of the things is like, you know, in, in Ruby, you call like, you know, user.where or Rails rather, you call user.where. It doesn't really execute the query right there. You know, it waits for you to kind of add more things on top of it, it tries to be smart, right? As a developer, you don't know it's calling the query, but in, in Ecto, you explicitly call repo.get, right? And like that, that explicitness, and I think that that's where like 
intentionally doing things, intentionally preloading, like you said, instead of in Ruby doing user.posts, it a post just gets preloaded and the n plus one query happens. There's like really funny quote I remember from like Joe Armstrong. He said, and it's like more object oriented versus functional, but you can use it for like Ruby and Ruby on Rails and Luxor and Phoenix as well. And it's like in functional programming, if, if you want a banana, you get a banana. But in object oriented, if you want a banana, you get a banana, a gorilla holding a banana, and the entire jungle. <laughs> and that, that's true. And that's that's such a beautiful quote. It sums it up perfectly. But yeah. but yeah, that's 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 really awesome. So okay, so yeah, having established that Ecto is great, let's talk about your article. So it's about really how to not produce a mess using Ecto. How to write your queries yeah. in a more composable functions. Uh, composable functions and like making it like more, I guess, easy to use. You call it resource-based Ecto query yeah. modules. So you want, do you want to talk about what that blog post is about? Yeah, so maybe let's start with the background. So I was involved in a couple of projects and I realized that there is a huge mess when it comes to Ecto queries. I w- let's go back a little bit to what I said before. In Phoenix, I think 1.3, you still had the concept of model, which was supposed to be like a gateway to, to DB. And I think the concept was to put queries there. And th- that would be the concept. I don't know if it was written down anywhere, but well, developers should at that point put all of the queries out there. However, that would be the perfect case scenario where a develop when the developer puts a, a given code related to something in one place, it ends up uh, in the in the place where you have active queries in controllers, in views, in models at that point. And right now we have like a resource file which defines a schema and the change set, and you have a context file that groups uh, business logic for uh, certain resources. And I would say that right now you should put Ecto queries into context file. But still, if you don't write down a rule, uh, developers will will just put these queries everywhere. And that's what I see, a huge mess where queries are defined in context, in uh, resource files, in views, in controllers, just everywhere. And there are a certain things, issues that, that are happening here, and uh, I would name three of them. Uh, first of all, uh, the files are growing to huge sizes uh, just because there are a lot of queries, and these queries are, in these cases, not reusable, so you have to define a query for each case. Right. Uh, second thing would be that one file may hold queries for a couple of resources. So there's like a, still not a place for reusability and well, this, there is just a mess. And yeah, and the third one would be, to, it's hard to reuse these queries because if you have certain queries defined in a couple of files, how to, how to merge it into one place. Right. So I, I was thinking, how should I structure the code of the Phoenix project? Uh, with Ecto queries to make it easy to understand and gain reusability and uh, being able to compose these queries easily. And I came to the conclusion that I can actually 
define a resource related files in folder named after, after resource. So if you, let's say, have a accounts context, you would have an accounts folder. Inside, you would have a user file, which holds a schema and change set definition. But also next to the user file, you would have user folder, which holds a user specific fi files. And uh, in my case, I, I'm putting their type specs. I'm, I'm putting their custom for user validations. And I also put them uh, user queries, uh, user queries. So this is, this is how I organize uh, resource-based queries in a project. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's like a very good application of the fact that queries and Ecto are composable versus if you just write like raw SQL. You can output like half of SQL in different functions and test it in complete isolation, whereas you can do that with Ecto. And I think this is a very good example of uh, yeah. using that co composability. Do you, did you run into any problems with this? You know, one of the things I can think of is like, you know, if you start splitting these queries into like a bunch of reusable components, and then when you finally combine those components, you know, in potentially different order, different ways, you know, because, you know, they're separate now. You could lead to, there could be use cases that, you know, where those components might not gel with each other, right? Do you like test all the, possible ways it could go wrong or do you are yeah, you very so, intentional with your tests about like only testing it for specific cases yeah so these queries modules are used in context after all where they are piped into repo get or repo all whatever and i would say that in most cases it's about given resource resource being returned so if you if you define queries modules for a given resource, there is it's all, always about one resource. So you don't really return in most cases other resources as well. So if you if you think about it like this, if you isolate those files and well, in most cases you don't run into any problems. That's at, at least from my experience. Right. Yeah, I think you can definitely minimize that potential. But I guess to, be, to give you like a more specific example, in the mm -hmm. uh, with join part, I mean, those are private functions. So I guess, you know, you can make an argument that you'll use them intentionally. But like there's like a potential, right? Like where you have separated the query where you want posts and where you want comments as well, right? Mm -hmm. But you're using, for example, has named binding. I mm -hmm. usually don't name my bindings. I usually like when I pipe my actor query, I just use like what is it called like ordered bindings. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that has a name like it say and in documentation it says it says that bindings in actor are positional. That's, right, right. That's how it says. Yeah, right. Position position bindings. Yep, yep. So so, I mean, so for it to work with this, like I'll have to make sure that I name my post, I guess, uh, entity as posts. Right. And there should not be any other post in it as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, using the name binding correctly, because I could 
theoretically call something else post, right? So it, it just like, I mean, I guess that's like the cost of, I guess, separating something, right? You are introducing a little bit more flexibility. So like you can, yeah. you're introducing like more ways it could fail. So I don't know. I, I was just curious if you have thought of ways you could like maybe minimize ways it could fail. Well, to be honest, I introduced these uh, name bindings in, in the article in general in uh, our work because I got into troubles. If you join something, if, for example, you have user and you have different related resources. If you join something to user, uh, the order of joining matters when you then use those po- positional bindings in filtering. Right. So if I would want to pipe certain functions, I would have to know upfront what's the position of the right. binding. That's right. the problem. And that's why I introduced the name bindings. In this case, uh, position doesn't matter. Right. So that's the huge benefit. I would say, and that's that's the background. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's definitely better than like non-name bindings. Like definitely better than position bindings. But I mean, uh, do you enforce that your when you're calling a query, like most of your tables or resources are like have a name binding? Is that like a practice in your organization? Yeah, if if we follow this path, then right, it's it should be done this way because right. in most cases, sooner or later, we got into this case that I just described. Mm. So uh, it's it's like a concept that evolved. Uh, and it's pretty funny because I actually found similar blog posts in the internet. It's like somebody cloned uh, my mind in this case and uh, had the same concept. So nice. I, I think it's not only something that we got into mm-hmm. in the end, but it's, it's something uh, other people also find out. Yeah, so this is this is why we use the name, name bindings, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, again, just to be clear, I'm not, I was just trying to find, just trying to play devil's advocate. It's, it's definitely a very good solution and a much better alternative to like just using position bindings because you cannot, like you said, you cannot for sure know what's the position of, for example, post in your query. But yeah, that, that's, yeah. it's very cool. That's very cool. I'm definitely going to play with some of the things you did in this blog post. Um, so any any other thoughts any any anything else you want to share about this post or ecto in general well maybe one thing because this blog post i w- i created this blog post because uh, the one thing i i think is lacking is like a set of ideas of how you can structure a phoenix application properly but i'm not saying about the scaffold but okay. rather a real real uh, world example, a big application, uh, a guides of how to, where, where to put a file to make it, make it clean. Yeah, because, uh, well, if, if you don't have a set of rules, uh, developers don't follow them. Uh, I mean, right. they don't follow anything because you don't have these rules, but <laughs> uh, that produces a mess, mess in the code. And yeah. uh, that was, well, the, the issue uh, the, the problem that I tried to solve with just just one thing, uh, one, only with this act of queries. So maybe a good idea would be to write down not only a rules for act of queries, uh, but other parts of the system that may uh, maybe a real case. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my 
two cents, let's say, here in this topic, maybe a little different. It's not related to Ecto itself, but rather with Phoenix applications. Yeah. Yeah. I actually would say like, it's like probably Elixir in general. It's great to have like, like you're saying, like adding more restrictive restrictions, you know, because Elixir is like, you know, not being like a, a statically typed, like a very, like a very, like a strong type system, I should say, language. And, uh, you know, a few other features like that Elixir provides that adds flexibility. It kind of reduces like restriction restriction right or like and developers just can feel free to do like you know things that you know should not be done and your tests might not fail your code would compile and you would still and your code coverage might still be 100 percent. but then you would realize yeah. actually it doesn't mean anything it's still broke right so and i think i think i totally agree with the general philosophy of trying to not just establish patterns, but also enforce patterns, right? Like programmatically, if you break the pattern, the CI should fail, right? Like I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. So I totally uh, understand the philosophy of what you're saying. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, I, I, I somehow understand why there are no, there, there's not a lot of restrictions in Elixir and Phoenix in general, but maybe, maybe that's a, a task for a community to find out these right. types of types of uh, restrictions and write it down as a guideline rather than uh, rather than a strict uh, on compile time let's say uh, restriction or something like this. Right. Yeah. 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 You're right. I mean, unfortunately, you know, like you said, developers don't follow things even if it's like written down. I feel like it's in an organization having that like more, you know not compile or any like kind of a failure is uh it's irritating <laughs> for developers initially right but when they get used to it i feel like it yields more positive results but but you're right it is it is hard to find that balance right because you know people might start get getting annoyed by that too but yeah, yeah that's true this is awesome yeah so i think that concludes all of our questions so at so usually what we do here is we, I guess we mention a couple picks of the week. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Do you have a couple things you want to share? Could it be Elixir, programming, or anything in general, like books or, I don't yeah. know, articles? So maybe you can just visit our website, just curiosum.dev, like dev, soon come. But we have a blog, and we try to post pretty regularly. Uh, it's around, let's say, one post a month or something like this, or two months. 
hopefully we will speed it up, but you can find some interesting uh, blog posts out there and sign in to our newsletter if you're looking for more resources uh, when it comes to Elixir. Yeah, and maybe if you have idea on, on what we can write about, then just share it with us. And this is, let's say, all when it comes to what, what I can share with you. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's great. We'll definitely put those in the show notes again. I have a book again this week for my pick, and it is the Little Elixir and OTP Guide book by Benjamin Tan. It's uh, by Manning Publications, and I'm going to post that link as well. It's one of the better Elixir books, and it kind of is like more um, follow along kind of an Elixir book and code along and like learn by doing. So if any one of you is looking to learn Elixir and OTP in that way, it's a very a very good book. Yeah, but yeah I, I know this one. Yeah. Oh, you do? Nice. <laughs> nice. I mean, I didn't read it, but I, I see it pretty frequently, so... You should definitely read Shimon. It's, it's a very good book. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So I guess that's it for today, folks. We'll see you all next week. See you. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.